Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic, and I am joined by Father Gregory Pine. Say hi, Father Gregory. Hi, Father Gregory. And that's cute. Real funny. Oh, yeah. That jokes. <laughs> He's got jokes. Yeah, hilarious. Uh, so uh, I mentioned that I'm here in D.C., as you all probably know, because we say that where we are for some reason, as if that matters <laughs> to where we're like tuning in from, like we're globetrotters. We just sit in our office all the time, except this time. So that's why I make mention of it, because Father Gregory is no longer in D.C. Maybe he'll never come back, but he's, he's gone for now. Father Gregory has moved over to Switzerland. Uh, so this is sort of like an international cast this mm. week and for the foreseeable future. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so Father Gregory moved over, uh, working on his, on his doctorate. He'll be done in like six months, and then he'll be back in the States. <laughs> and that's kind of it, right? So that's exactly uh, how it works. Yep, it's like yeah, a big are, paper. That's great. Yeah. How are things over in, uh, in, in Switzerland? They're good. Um, yeah. I took a plane. Actually, I took two planes, uh, which were like, uh, I don't know exactly how to describe them. It was me and seven of my closest friends, each of whom had, you know, eight rows of the airplane because uh, going to Switzerland is not permissible unless you have a visa, which visas are hard to get and take forever. So that was great. I had a row that I could theoretically have slept on, but instead I just waited until morning, which is my favorite strategy. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, since coming here, I've been uh, received warmly by uh, the Dominican community. It's, it's an international house. We have priests from Italy and India and Australia and uh, the Netherlands and Belgium and France and all kinds of places. Um, the Swiss, obviously. Any Swiss? I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a strictly no Swiss Swiss house. No, yeah, there's, they're Swiss. And uh, yeah, I would say that um, things here are as you might expect, except they don't eat breakfast cereal. Instead, they eat like cheese, which is weird. It just feels feels like a little early for cheese, just straight cheese. You know, I get it in an omelet, but they're like, here is the cheese bucket. You're like, good night. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, stuff takes getting getting used to. But um, yeah, it's a recognizably Dominican community and uh, they pray and they study St. Thomas and it's a good place to be. That's great. Yeah. So great to hear. Yeah, Thank really you. wonderful. Thanks. Uh-huh. Father Jacob Burch, yeah. you hosted a retreat this past weekend at the uh, Dominican House of Studies. I was there for part of it, but uh, I did. how was it? Yeah, it was It was great. Um, it's always tough, like saying it was great when it was something that you kind of put on. So, you, you know, without like a lot of back battery, <laughs> as you might I say. I am great. But, great me. you know, I'm I'm kind of the, the new thing in the church right now. So, you know, <laughs> the retreat was really great. Uh, no, but it was awesome. It was called uh, Choosing Well, Practical Wisdom in an Unpractical Time. I think that was the title or age. I don't remember the last word. Um, but it was, it was taking a look at St. Thomas on the virtue of prudence and, and how to basically, without using the word discern well, make good life choices based on sort of a Thomistic understanding of the person and the virtues. So we had five great conferences, weekend of liturgy. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good time for um, like fraternity, if you want to call it that, um, with our meals and stuff like that as a group. So uh, yeah, it was great. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think that the people came who came um, enjoyed it uh hopefully it was helpful who knows but uh but yeah i think we're, we'll hopefully do something this was sponsor, co-sponsored with the Thomistic institute so um that i think we're we're looking to to see what how we can do it again in a different form or same form or, or what but uh that's that's always good when when people want to do it again so uh yeah 
there it is. And then this week, uh, I guess, well, looking forward, the, that, that's kind of the, that's where we are for the semester. So the rest of the, the fall, we had a vocation weekend again, but the rest of the fall is kind of less event heavy. Um, just a lot of Christmas carols, you know, getting ready for the season, that sort of thing. So yeah, Got it. a lot of fun. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Nice. Yeah. Great. Um, all right. Well, enough about us. Uh, let's talk. About, <laughs> let's talk about. Can't say that out loud to... because then they can say in their minds, "I had enough of you three minutes ago." Uh, Don't give them the opportunity. Well, I just, I just want to, you know, affirm their thoughts that they, they too are tired of hearing about us. Uh, <laughs> so, on to the episode. Uh, so mm. this week on on uh, on the episode, we want to talk about a sort of a hot take, a hot topic that's um, that's that's been. Uh, I guess on the mind of a lot of Catholics lately, and that is the um, the Holy Father's comments on civil unions that he made um, last month in October. I guess he made them a lot earlier, but they aired uh, they were aired in this documentary, Francesco, um, last month. Um, so I think w- what we wanted to do is is to talk about how it is that we as um, as Catholics should sort of respond to to these sorts of things, to these comments in particular, but also I think it's more important or not more important, but also just as important to sort of um, equip ourselves with the tools and the ability to sort of respond prudently, but in truth and in charity. Um, So I think, why don't we do that by first, you know, let's set the scene. Let's kind of review real quick with Mm. uh, what happened and then we could talk about our response and how that should be handled and how our reaction. So um, I guess just by way of, of setting the scene, there were two quotes, two lines um, that the Holy Father said. So we're just looking at, if you were just to look at the video, not any comments afterwards. And these are the two things that he said. He said, first, that homosexuals have a right to be part of the family. They're children of God and have the right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable because of it. And then the second thing that he said, um, I'm not sure the duration or the space between the two. I didn't watch the, the documentary. I just read parts of it. The second thing that he said is what we have to create is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. They being homosexuals referring to the last quote. So there we have it. Two things about homosexuals being part of a family and having the right to a family. But also the, the, the big thing is that at least has been captured in the headlines as this thing on creating civil union law. Um, so uh, let's, let's, I don't know, I guess talk about that. Father Gregory, what do you, I mean, why is this problematic? Why is this not problematic? What's what's the deal here? Yeah, I think that um, so one can speak initially of how this sounds to the ordinary hearer. So when um, something like this appears at the top of your newsfeed, it causes in you a certain reaction. So before you even begin to unpack it, I think it's good just to kind of um, yeah be honest or genuine, sincere about how that makes one feel. Uh, and either, you know, to validate that feeling or perhaps to seek to correct it. So I think that because um, same-sex marriage um, and because like this idea of civil unions has been something about which the Holy Father has spoken previously, and, and in the American context, it's something that we thought a lot about up until 2015 and then have thought about in different ways since. So we, we read these things, and I think a lot of Catholics at the outset feel bewildered right? Maybe that's not the most helpful word because I don't even know what it means. Um, Like just confused and maybe a little bit like frustrated or even betrayed. Like those who find themselves engaged in culture wars, right? Who are trying to defend the church's teaching, whether it be about family 
or life or about sexuality. Um, they, they see things like this from the Holy Father and they feel as if, um, yeah, like as if they're not being supported from the upper echelon. And uh, that for many people just, just can be really difficult, just can be really saddening. And so I think that's, it's good just to kind of acknowledge it at the outset to say like, these are things that were said and that's tough for a lot of people to hear. And it's not because you're a bad person, right? Um, And you don't intuitively think immediately to the theological implications of everything that was said and how it can be squared with church doctrine and dot, 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 play that out until it's nth degree. But it's just because this seems at face value and we're going to kind of dive into how it is. In fact, um, yeah, how, how it's something that's contrary to like enunciated church teaching and before even getting into all the matters of like authority and what level of authority it ranks in just to, just to start there, right? This is something that people see, they find it saddening, frustrating. They feel somewhat undermined by it. And then they're told oftentimes you shouldn't feel that way, which I think is not how we want to begin. Right. So that I think to, to sort of finish setting the scene, then it's let's, let's look at that enunciated church teaching and what the church says, at least in brief. So there, there can be, um, you can look at to a lot of places to see, uh, what the church has to say on homosexuality, though, uh, perhaps it's not the greatest kind of corpus there of things, uh, but homosexuality, civil unions, the, the good of the family, all of these, there, there are plenty of, um, Vatican documents, magisterial documents, the catechism, these sorts of things. But just to hone in on one in 2003, the, um, the congregation for the doctrine of the faith, the CDF, um, issued a document they called that's titled considerations regarding proposals to give legal recognition to unions between homosexual persons. It's the longest title. Most of the CDF documents are like super long, but, uh, there, there are two paragraphs in there that are, that are uh, important. And I, I think I'll just read them quickly and then we could talk about them because I think having them in your mind is, is important too, rather than just saying, look at paragraph 11 and five. So paragraph 11 reads, the church teaches that respect for homosexual persons cannot lead in any way to approval of homosexual behavior or to legal recognition of homosexual unions. The common good requires that laws recognize, promote, and protect marriage as the basis of the family, the primary unit of society. Legal recognition of homosexual unions or placing them on the same level as marriage would mean not only the approval of deviant behavior with the consequence of making it a model in present-day society, but it would also obscure basic values which belong to the common inheritance of humanity. The church cannot fail to defend these values for the good of men and women, for the good of society itself. And then in, that was paragraph 11 and five reads much shorter. One must refrain from any kind of formal cooperation in the enactment or application of such gravely unjust laws and as far as possible for material cooperation on the level of their application. So essentially paragraph five is saying that one cannot participate in the propagation of civil union law or homosexual marriage law. Um, so you have what the Holy Father said in this in 2019 uh, that was filmed in 2019, this interview that came out in 2020, but you, it stands when you read these things uh, against what the church teaches officially in our official um, teaching on this from the 2003 document. So it begs the question then, can, is, is the, what did the Pope do? Did he make a mistake? Is he wrong? Is the church wrong? Is church teaching changing? What is, and this is, I think, where the frustration that Father Gregory was speaking of, the frustration, the confusion, the bewilderment, I don't know what that word means either, but all of that, what, this is where the source is, because there are clearly things at odds here. So what, at least by just beginning to dive into that, Father Gregory, what is, what, what, what to make of that? What, what should we make of these two things that are, seem to 
you know, contradict the contradict one another. Yeah, I think that um, maybe just to start with the Pope's own political prudence. So if you've read anything about the matter, you know that uh, while serving as the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, um, Cardinal Bergoglio advocated for, or at least he um, kind of sailed the idea out among his bishops conference uh, that they might back civil unions as a kind of stopgap. So there was some kind of popular movement or some you know, like a jurisprudential movement in the direction of same-sex marriage. And he thought that it would be um, a good stopgap to maybe work for recognition of civil unions. So that way the state did not advance towards marriage because he was concerned that by advancing towards marriage, then the nature of marriage itself is obscured or the meaning of the nature of marriage is obscured. So to propose this as a kind of um, compromise, as it were, so in his mind, he was proposing as something, one, that affirms the dignity of homosexual persons, uh, but on the other hand, works against a wholesale embrace of same-sex marriage at the, uh, you know, at the level of um, judicial recognition. So he, he has it in his mind that this is a way by which to, um, yeah, to kind of stop uh, or stem the tide. <clears throat> now, what, what, what's kind of enunciated in 2003 with the document that you just described deploys another logic. It says basically that the church may sometimes be overwhelmed by the tendency of the state, but that doesn't give us reason to make these types of compromises, right? Because in so doing, you kind of give a tacit approbation or approval um, to homosexual acts, right? And so the types of things which would advance that. So right here, what you see, like the Pope is making a private, political, prudential judgment. Right. And then we have to distinguish that from the types of teaching which the Pope gives or renders, uh, which pertain to the kind of like magisterial authority of the church. So, I mean, at this point, well, I've talked for like two and a half minutes, but um, when, when we like distinguish among the papal magisterium, there's the ordinary papal magisterium, which is just the, the kind of ordinary teaching office of the Holy Father. Uh, which is just, you know, like encyclical letters and as Wednesday audiences and homilies. Uh, but it's just the, the kind of ordinary enunciation of the church's faith. He's not necessarily adding to it or even developing it. He's just proclaiming it, right? So it just uh, issues from his preaching of the mysteries of the faith. And then when people ordinarily think about papal magisterial authority, they think about the extraordinary magisterium. And this would be when the Holy Father uh, would pronounce something uh, ex cathedra, you know, from the chair of Peter, and pronounced something as to be held with divine and Catholic faith that formally was not enunciated in that way. So it's not that, again, that he's adding something, but it is a kind of statement that the church's doctrine has been clarified in such a way that he now feels the confidence, not doesn't feel the confidence by virtue of his own prudence, but the Holy Spirit has given him the charism to state this as such. And so you can think here of like the doctrine of uh, the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which was stated in this way in 1950, or it was consciously um, proclaimed by the Holy Father as something pertaining to the extraordinary magisterium. So when we think about papal teaching, we ordinarily think in these modes, right? And, and if it is something that pertains to the church's magisterium, if it's something that's you know, revealed or that issues from revelation, it's to be held with divine and Catholic faith. Or if it's something, you know, a kind of lower order teaching, right? It's something to which we owe... Um, religious submission of intellect and will. So there are grades among things. There are things which pertain immediately to divine revelation where the things which issue from that. And then there are the kind of ongoing judgments of the church as she clarifies her doctrine, as she uh, seeks to be of service in its development. 
So like when we talk about these things, we're talking about things which are, you know, authoritative teaching. When we talk about the Pope's private prudential or political prudential judgment, we're not talking about something that pertains to teaching in just that way. So we want to make that distinction at the outset. Right. That's great. So with that distinction, let's, let's take a second to take a break, kind of process that, think about that or replay it to just process it because it is, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of distinctions to be made and they have to be made because they help us understand different levels of teaching. And we'll dive into that right when we get back after our break. So, uh, hang tight and we'll be back in just a minute. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. Welcome back to God's Planning. This is Father Jacob Bertrand, and I'm here with Father Gregory, and we, uh, we've been talking about uh, the Holy Father's comments on civil unions and homosexual uh, marriage as well as civil unions, really, um, that he made in a documentary that came out last month, and how that squares um, against what the church has to teach um, in an official capacity. And just before the break, Father Gregory laid out for us the difference between um, the popes or really anybody's, uh, but the popes because he has the ability to speak in, in, a, in a formal and an official way, ex cathedra in an infallible way, but the difference between his private, political, prudential um, comments or theological opinions or these sorts of things and his the ordinary and extraordinary magisterial teaching so i think in in people's minds um or even here i was going to make this example by way of um just to help clarify the difference here right so an even more formal example we can look at when when pope benedict was 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 still on on the chair of St. Peter. He wrote uh, three books, um, uh, the Jesus of Nazareth series, commentary, sort of scriptural commentaries on the life of Jesus. And though he was Pope and he was writing these, he was he was clear to to make the distinction that these are not papal sort of dogmatic teachings. They're his theological opinions, thoughts, musings. So even though they were published in books and these sorts of things, just because the Pope says or writes or publishes something doesn't mean that it's all on the same level of of uh, of teaching. I think a lot of us know this, but it's sort of a question, okay, what level then? Um, so with the question of what level, um, the, 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 the question of the word that often comes up is dogma. Is it, is it dogmatic? Do I have to believe this? Is the church, is the, is the Pope changing dogma? And I think we can say with the resounding no, uh, he is not changing dogma. He's not, his comments in a documentary are private prudential opinions of, of a man who is Pope, of course, and he's a priest and he's, he's the vicar of Christ, but they're not, uh, just because the, the Holy Father speaks does not mean he speaks infallibly or that he speaks in such a way that changes dogma. Um, what we, what we have to pay attention to and be careful to hear and sort of cling to is what the church has and does teach. So that's, that's why it's important to look at, well, what does the church teach and what does the, um, what is the Holy Father saying? So it, it kind of begs the question then, and again, this is where the confusion and frustration, like who is right? Is there, yeah. is there a side? Do we have to come down as Catholics? Is, is there a side that we have to come down on? Is there a line? And are, are we, is, is there the danger here? Um, who is right? And how do we approach that well? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, certainly this is, a, this is the type of question that's kind of perilous to propose and perilous to answer because with it comes the judgment that, you know, I'm right and this other person, you know, in this case, the Holy Father is wrong. And I think that in our age, we are nervous to make judgments that seem intolerant, right? We're nervous to make judgments that seem 
um, dogmatic, right? Because that's often used as a negative characterization, characterization of the claims that some would make. Uh, any, anything that could suggest that um, I'm doing it better than you seems like a kind of, um, what to say, you know, condescension, or it seems to be patronizing, it seems to be arrogant, right? But I, but I think that at the root of that is a kind of lack of certainty that the Lord Jesus Christ reveals and that we're capable of receiving that revelation and that our minds, by virtue of faith, are actually, you know, kapaks veritatis. We're able to grasp the truth, to make judgments about it, and to deploy it in ways that lead us into right worship and right belief. So I think, um, I yeah, I think in this instance, I realized too with the uh, the description of authority, I don't know that I ever use the word infallibility, but <laughs> I probably should at a certain point because that's the, that's the pertinent concern. Which thing was defined by the First Vatican Council um, in one of the two documents published by that council? Um, and it, like Father Jacob Bertrand said, it's something that pertains to dogma or the formulation that you sometimes hear is as things concerning faith and morals. So when the, when the Holy Father clarifies something concerning faith and morals, and he does so infallibly, you know, from the chair of Peter, those would be the types of things which would pertain to his extraordinary magisterium. So apologies for that omission. I'm abashed and embarrassed. Um, but getting back to the present issue, I think that we can just say, we can just simply say that in this matter, the Holy Father's judgment is at least limited um, and potentially misleading for his auditors and more strongly that it's wrong, right? Um, insofar as it does not square with the church's enunciated teaching, insofar, you know, one could say that, that it sounds like the type of political strategy which could be deployed and you might see how it would play out, but um, as a kind of um, act which instructs the faithful, it has other dimensions for which the CDF takes account, you know, like this could be something that's easily misinterpreted, and so could give scandal to those who would think the church now has changed its position on homosexuality, and as a result of which, right, um, may be developing beyond the bounds of what development was formally construed as. So, so this would be the type of thing we can say is, is wrong, and, and certainly as the, the kind of tide has uh, increased in strength over the course of the last decade, you can see the reasons for which. I, I don't know if that's clear, but Father Jacob Bertrand, you have a way of certainly clarifying things which I say that are muddy. I don't know if that's true, but thanks. Uh, yeah, I think on, on the one, again, to, to affirm this sort of frustration and confusion, we can just look at, at, the, at the secular media, even even the church's media, but the, the headlines of, of media. You know, you have these, these articles that are citing bishops. Um, I, I'm trying to remember from the, the news source that it was, but I mean, there have been many. Um, the Daily Mail was one that I was looking at in, in the UK that, that cites a handful of American bishops, um, Cardinal Burke, Cardinal O'Malley, Bishop Tobin, um, as, as sort of responding um, against what the Holy Father said in the documentary. And then you have others, America Magazine, sort of touting this as a great victory for LGBT, gay, Catholic rights in the church and these sorts of things. So it's clear um, that people are coming down on different sides of, on different sides of this, um, which means that it requires clarification because yeah. part of the, the grace of Christ's headship in the church is not confusion, but clarity, unity. Um, so uh, to affirm uh, the confusion, but also to affirm that the, the, the Holy See has responded. So uh, the Vatican issued a statement that, these, that, the, that the Holy Father's um, comments were in, these, in this documentary were taken out of context, that they, weren't, um, that they weren't propagated in a way that would clearly reflect the Holy Father's thoughts and, and um, opinions on these things. So I do think that we have to affirm that. I do think that that's, you know, that, that there is um, 
there is this reality that uh, the church has has seen the sort of confusion that it's caused and has responded. Now, I think a lot, if you read these articles um, or, you know, you're, you're on social media, there's a call for the Holy Father himself to respond and these sorts of things. Perhaps that would be great. But um, I also, you know, I can't dive into his mind and sort of read his mind or make him do these sorts of things. But um, as Father Gregory said, when these things are, when, when comments whether they be from the Holy Father or anybody, are compared to church teaching. It's it's the church's teaching, not private opinion, that wins the day. Um, and the the church has held fast to this. Of course, the Holy Father has had, held fast fast to this. Um, perhaps has not clarified on this particular thing, but hasn't said that the church's teachings are changing or these sorts of things. So, um, yes, we can say there was there was a really good article that I read. Um, again, I'm forgetting where it was. I think it was from the Archdiocese of New York. Um, and it was it was put out um, just after the comments, not as an official statement of the Archdiocese of New York, but somebody who, working for the Archdiocese who blogs, um, saying that, yes, people can make mistakes. And the Holy Father made, you know, made a mistake at le- in what he said and in the presentation of what he said. Um, so, there it is. Uh, that's it. But I think what I really liked about that article more than sort of like finger wagging, which it wasn't, but more than our finger wagging is that it, the, the author um, says that we respond to that in charity, um, that we respond to that in love. And I think the, the reality is that we can't love without truth and that truth can't exist without love. So it's a matter of, um, it's a matter of, of finding that that reality that affirming the truth not just the truth of what the church teaches but the truth of i mean this is including that the truth of who we are as human beings of what um what gets people to heaven how christ has how god has made us and how christ has saved us um but also loving in that so as not to fall into, into the trap which is a trap of the devil of of sort of seed is see um yes yeah, seeding right that's the right word seeding yeah. division of creating division, of stirring the pot just for sort of like a Twitter quote or something like that. Um, yeah, that's, I want to be clear. That's not, that's me. That's not me saying, Oh, it's no big deal. Uh, we shouldn't react to what comes out of Rome or the Holy father or other bishops or priests, but the, the end game ought not be dissension or division or mudslinging these sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, as you're talking, I just have two kind of brief thoughts by way of addition. One is just to recognize that, um, of course, things are going to get spun in a polarized political atmosphere in which we currently live. And um, everyone is going to want to interpret things according to his or her own particular bent. But just to be cognizant of the fact that pe- you know, people approach these comments from different traditions and their, their wont to interpret according to that tradition, according to their own formation, according to their own life's history. And I think that um, as Catholics, we're accustomed to speak uh, kind of metaphysically, whereas I think a lot of our peers are not. Um, they're more accustomed to think and to speak therapeutically. And I don't mean either of those things. Uh, I don't mean like metaphysical good, therapeutic bad. I just mean that's the kind of cast of mind. So when we, when we describe things, we describe them in terms of being. So we say, this is the type of thing which is consonant with friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the type of thing which is not consonant with, the, you know, with friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of which, we're going to promote those things which advance friendship with the Lord, and we're going to decry those things. We're going to caution against those things, which undermine it, right? So we're not speaking about what could be. We're just speaking about what is. And in that, you want to affirm the dignity of persons who struggle with same-sex attraction, or maybe don't struggle with it, just wholly embrace it. You want to affirm the dignity of them without being condescending again or patronizing, uh, but, but to affirm their dignity while challenging them to 
holiness, right? Challenging them towards flourishing. And if the Lord Jesus reveals what is true, and if that truth can beget in us goodness, right, which forms in us the desire for God and cultivates in us a relationship with the most blessed Trinity, then those things should be, they should be proclaimed, right? Because we have in our tradition an abundance of riches, which are for people's happiness, even if they might initially receive them as hard as they might, or they might initially receive them as a rejection of who they are uh, and what they love. We, we should continue to, you know, proclaim that truth in ways that are accommodated to their reception, but that don't, you know, water down its, uh, its truth or its compellingness or, you know, anything like that. So I think that's just, you know, just there's, there's differences in the way that we speak and are accustomed to hear and that some of our peers speak and are accustomed to hear. When I say therapeutically, I mean, they think typically about how words make people feel and how words give hope for the future. You know, in some of the articles that you read, you heard people saying, you know, this is, this is great. Uh, this is just wild to hear this from the Holy Father. It really gives hope for the future. But then the question is hope for what? You know, because the church is never going to teach that same-sex marriage is permissible. It's never going to teach that, um, you know, same-sex acts are sanctifying. It's never going to teach some of the things which seem to, you know, lie in store in the minds of these authors. Um, so that's just to give a false hope. And as a result of which, it's not charity. You know, it's just, um, it's a kind of, yeah, magical thinking, which should be corrected, right? Again, not sanctimoniously, not with finger wagging, but in generosity and in love and with, with like real sincere concern for those who are involved and those who struggle. So yeah, that's just to speak a little bit about the metaphysical uh, and a little bit about the therapeutic, just to be cognizant of that in the way that we, uh, way that we address it. So I think having laid the scene, having, having given our sort of thoughts and opinions on, on the matter, perhaps just in the last couple of minutes of the episode, um, and we kind of touched on this already, but perhaps we can do so in a more... Um, a more orderly way, but just our, our, what is, I think, I know for me, uh, as, you know, as a priest and as a Catholic, uh, I find myself having to respond a lot and in different ways than people who aren't religious or out in the world or, or those who are out in the world. I mean, I respond in a sort of more, I guess, formal way. Like I don't have to sit in an office and sort of be asked questions by non-Catholics and these sorts of things. So that it does, you know, there's a difference. So, but what, I guess one of the things that we had in mind was to, yeah, to summarize a kind of like, what should be the Catholic response then when, uh, to this, both internally, um, what should be my response, but also what should be my, how should I respond to others when I'm asked questions, when I'm, you know, that kind of thing. Um, any thoughts on that, Father Gregory? Yeah. I, um, I think on the one hand, you know, there's, there's this kind of mentality of those who would uh, just not entertain any thought of it, just like read nothing that the Holy Father publishes because it could be potentially upsetting. Then there are others who kind of dive deep into everything there is to be consumed or read about the matter and may be thrown for a loop or find themselves very absorbed by those things. I think um, there's a middle choice, <laughs> a middle choice, <laughs> there's a middle course to be charted. Uh, which, you know, means having some knowledge about contemporary things, but ultimately always trying to connect them to, um, yeah, a vision which uh, embraces eternity, right? To see them as pertaining to our destiny to become saints, right? So to kind of look at them in terms of the unity of the church, in terms of the work of sanctification. And I think that like, you know, what are the interior dispositions that we cultivate? I think, you know, some of us are more disposed to just fight uh, we're ready for a good confrontation. I think some of us are more disposed to accommodate. We find confrontation difficult. And so as a result of which, we're just going to be real soft in our rhetoric. We're going to 
um, kind of say things which open the door for misinterpretation from those who might just, you know, like kind of dissent from what we might say, because yeah, we just don't want to rock the boat. So I'd say the former we could call combating the culture, the latter we can call, you know, accommodating the culture. And I think that what we're supposed to do is somewhere in the middle, which is converting the culture. Um, when you tell somebody that what I think is different, that's a provocation because if it's different, they may think themselves wrong. And if they may think themselves wrong, it could be occasion for conversion. So if we're not willing to say that what we think is different and it's hard, uh, but it's worthwhile, then we're going to find ourselves less effective evangelically, right? So yes, it's uncomfortable. Uh, and no, we shouldn't take unnecessary relish in just fighting people for fighting's sake, but we should propose boldly, confidently with, you know, those backed by uh, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, but ultimately humbled by the fact of our own limitation, that this is something that can save, right? This is part of what it means to be made a saint according to the Lord's designs. Um, yeah, so those are just uh, those are just some thoughts. Yeah, um, I guess just to echo some of that, I think that for our looking at ourselves and then looking at our response to to others, that we should model we should model our 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 response approach this on on that of the church. If we look at the history of the church and how the church sort of answered questions about the faith, um, about dogmatic questions, even in the early times, these came um, when when there was provocation, when there was a question to be answered. The church didn't just sit down and say, here's the list of dogma. Um, no, rather, the church um, was challenged on a teaching, um, had questions about a teaching, met together and, and pronounced and clarified the, the contents of revelation. And I think we can do that too. When we're faced with questions about our faith and questions about the, the teachings of our faith, it, it doesn't it can be frustrating, but should not present a, a simply a moment of frustration, but an opportunity to learn about our faith and about Jesus Christ more deeply, to learn what does the church teach and what is how am I to conform my life to this? And I think that we can rely in response to other people um, on, on the graces of our confirmation to boldly proclaim the truth, but to proclaim that truth in love, not just the words that we use, but the, the, way, in which, the way in which we live, um, to live in accord with the truth, to, to live in conformity to Jesus Christ, um, to live as Father Gregory said, so as to convert the world, and that we should rely on the saints here. Um, there are great saints of the history of the church who were great evangelizers and great teachers who understood the truth, but also taught well. So of course, our own St. Dominic, John Paul II, um, St. Paul, St. Francis Xavier, like the list is endless, St. Therese of Lisieux, all of these great saints, the doctors of the church who taught because they first came to know, um, but also we're sanctified by that and, and had a real hand in converting the world in which we live. Um, so that's what I, that's what I think. Uh, I think holiness is the thing that's going to change the world, not tweets. So if we pursue holiness and, you know, tweet less often than, or I think, I think we're all the better for it. Um, yeah. So I think that's what we have for you. That's what we have for you on, on this. I think a, a call to sort of stand firm in the faith, but also to learn more, to be good evangelizers, to become holy, to be, to be saints in that. So uh, I think that's, that's, where, that's where we will we'll leave you so as not to continue to sort of bombard you. But uh, <laughs> if this episode has been helpful, give it a like, give it a review, give it a share. Um, share it with somebody who you think might be in need of, of listening to us. That might be a weird thing to say, but you know. <laughs> Go ahead and share it. Uh, in the meantime, we will certainly be praying for you and uh, ask, ask you to pray for us too. So until the next time, take care and God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning. 
a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.